So, on this episode of the Thick and Thin Podcast, it's none other than my big brother, Randy. Now, throughout the quarantine, I obviously have been practicing social distances, distancing, and, um, you know, he's one of those few people that I've been seeing on the regular. He's helped me build, do some stuff with the garden and some projects in the back, so super helpful. And the whole time we're chopping it up, we're talking about recovery and life and you know, people and stuff like that. You know, he's a huge help to me. He's always been a, a hero of mine growing up. He's my big brother. So it didn't even occur to me <laughs> to get him on the podcast. And then I didn't have anybody lined up for this week. And I was like, oh, shit, you know, my big brother. And he was happy to help me. So this episode just kind of scratches the surface on a lot of things. And it's great, too, because, you know, like I said, he was definitely someone I looked up to. And we hit a point where... I realized, you know, being so self-absorbed and so into my own feelings that my brother has gone through everything I've gone through. And he's older and probably had to bury uh, bear a lot more than me. So it's good to sit down with him and talk to him about things and get his perspective rather than say it in my own words. So I'm so excited to show you guys a little glimpse of my family life, what it was like for us growing up, stuff like that. So I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, also, unfortunately, I open my mouth too much <laughs> and say things that could possibly have some backlash. So there's a couple edits I had to do. So if you hear a weird sound, that's maybe something I shouldn't have said. Also, I've just chopped up a couple things. So bear with me. It's a great episode. Um, hope you guys enjoy. All right. All right. So let's get to it. I'm here with my brother. First uh, live podcast we've done in a while. So. It's pretty exciting. How's it going, Ren? It's going good, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you had a pretty fucked up childhood. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about, uh, we're talking about a little bit of everything today, guys. We're talking about uh, some drug stuff, some gang shit, uh, some bad stuff, some good stuff, and the pretty much the whole uh, plethora of, uh, I guess we'll call it using drugs and shit like that. Yeah, man. Recovery and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so why don't you tell us about sort of what got you started into, um, you know, drug use or where the recovery, you know, like give me an angle. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to say it was an unconventional childhood raised by grandparents, depression era, older people. So if you didn't work or you didn't get work that day, you didn't eat. And it was a really rough time from everything that I've been told about that. It's nothing like any, anything that I've had to personally go through on right. that type of a level. So their mindset was much different right, right away, right off the bat. You know, they came from a very segregated, very uh, old school type of mentality where it was just like survive. And I think that's why people had so many kids back then because they didn't know how many of them were going were gonna to live. The kids were like the workforce and then the retirement plan. They wanted, to, you know, grandma and grandpa or the parents would be able to move in with the kids when they got older so I had a lot of, I had a lot of uh, old school values instilled in me and there wasn't a lot of uh, nurturing going on no. you know there yeah. was <laughs> yeah <laughs> the the model for parenting by today's standards you know there was there was nothing like that going on yeah cuz we were, were raised by um, our our grandparents or our parents as we call them we were born in the 1930s 
Yeah. So that's when you had kids. They were hard people. They did what they did to get to get by. There was no books on fucking tape and uh, you know nothing like TV that. shows or anything yeah. like that. I think there was a book about Doctor Spock, and that was just like, he was like the authority. He wrote a, he wrote a series of books on a child rearing and stuff like that. I don't even know how relevant it is by today's standard. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, I, I eventually, I want to say about 12 or 13 about that age started experimenting with uh with marijuana i smoked weed every day we're talking about this on the drive up i actually you know when i got into weed i was high every fucking day and i didn't even like it you know yeah something to do it was uh something to be a part of started hanging out with the stoner kids the little you know the outcasts and shit like that we cut school go smoke weed (laughs) come back stone talk shit uh, you know grandparents wanted me to do good they wanted me to be a uh, uh, academic scholar or something like that, but I wasn't having it. I was more infatuated with the stuff that I saw my uh, my cousin doing. He, they were from a different area. Grandparents had actually moved us to Arcadia, which was a really good area, in the hopes that, all right, they were you know, they were born in the ghetto, you know, Lincoln Heights, East LA, stuff like that, you know. So they wanted to give us a better opportunity, moved us out there, hoping that all right, get them away from that. Meanwhile. I'm over here hanging out with these stoner kids. I'm infatuated with the the family that that's from back in that area, and I'm seeing them and how they're doing things and that whole gangster side. And this is in the early '90s, you know, by the time I'm 12 or 13 years old. So it was keep going. Yeah, so it was a whole different get down. Got this is over 20 years ago, 25, 26 years ago. So it was a whole different get down. It was a uh, baggy pants, creases, bald heads, you know, white T-shirts, you know, three or four times bigger than the, yeah. than the person wearing old school Nike Cortez. There wasn't Kobe Bryant's, Michael Jordan's, any of that stuff. It's just a really different era. This is pre-cell phone. There was pay phones everywhere. Pay, put it this way, pagers were a big deal. Like if you had a pager, that meant you were like doing a little something. You, right. You, you were slinging a little dope on the side and you yeah, carried some quarters with you and you'd find a payphone and you'd make your call. So it was that It was that time frame, the old school rap, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, when you were you know, barely coming out with their albums on death row. And I seen that whole, that whole culture really as an outsider looking in. Mm-hmm. And I just became infatuated with the idea of it. Right. You know, the idea held this, uh, this, uh, this bigger than life type of a type of a connotation for me where I was like, Oh shit, that's cool. I want to be, I want to be like that. So about 12 years old, this little uh, overweight kid from Arcadia, I start shaving my head, you know, sneaking out bigger clothes in my backpack to, for, to junior high. <laughs> I'd, I'd leave the house wearing one thing, get to school. I put, <laughs> I put on my gangster clothes and uh, then I'd walk around. You have a wig on. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I remember I started tagging up the school, and back then I had this corny ass nickname. It was just, you know, it's called Sting. And I started, <laughs> the wrestler? <laughs> no, no, I just, I, thought, I just thought it sounded cool. You know, I was 12, 13 years old. So I started tagging up the, the bath, really the whole entire school with this big fat black um, uh, uh, felt marker. And uh, word had got back to the vice principal that it was me, and he called me into the office one time, and uh, I went in there, and then uh, Grandma shows up, our, our, our mom, who we call mom, <laughs> you know, she shows up, and uh, she's like, after the meeting, like, you didn't leave the house. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was in that came into the office with, you know, some big old size 50 pants, five fifty waist pants, and a big old shirt, you know, these uh, these. We used to call them Lokes, these $3 sunglasses that you would buy at the liquor store, Lokes or Murder Ones. <laughs> I came in there looking like that. She was like, oh, my God. Uh-huh. She hated it. They, they both did. 
Right. And, our, and our our uncle who lived, Fernando, you know, he hated it too. And they would constantly remind me of how much they hated it every time they seen the way I was dressed. Or they, they would see, uh, you know, call them cholos back then. They would see somebody like that on TV on the street. You know, oh, that guy's a nothing and this and that. He's a bum. You don't want to grow up to be like that guy. But I did. Mm-hmm. I very much wanted to grow up to be like that. And, you know, I kind of started out as a wannabe. Just something, you know, not a, not a serious... A serious participant by any by any means in any measure of gang gang activity or anything like that. As the years went by, I got you know became more and more just indoctrinated in it. Huh? Mm-hmm. And what started out as just something I was playing with, and uh, you know kind of just uh, flirting with the devil, like that kind of a thing. I started started actually you know becoming my life, and it started to grow on me. And I and I was about 17 years old. I was 17 years old. I got jumped into a uh, it was it, yeah. By by all standards, it was a it was a gang it was at that at that time. It's kind of phased out since then. It's the reason I hes- it was a little hesitant when I said it. And um, I got jumped into this gang and started uh my my criminal career. I guess my career as a gang member because uh, there's back then at least we just make the distinction between a gang member and a gang banger. Now, gang member was just somebody who was in the gang. And there was a lot of guys like that. They were just there for whatever. They were there for protection. They were there to fit in. Maybe they wanted to get girls. It was kind of a pop. It was more of a popular thing. In the 90s, it was the like 90s. the thing to do, sort of yeah. like the gangster rap and the whole, yeah. Yeah, so they're talk, we're talking about the end of the 90s going into the early 2000s, but there was a lot of that left over. It was still cool. Right. You know, so some guys were just there for that reason. So they were there, you know, they were, they were there and they didn't really know why they were there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was there because I was feeling a void in my life. So this gang had become my pseudo family, you know, and I eventually I became, I didn't want to just be some guy in the gang. I wanted to be a recognizable figure. I wanted to be kind of a leader. And I, I was able to accomplish that. And um, that became like, um, it became really like a kind of a cult because I didn't need to go outside of the gang for anything. So like I had my name, my status, my achievements were earned there. You know, I ended up get dating a girl who was my homeboy's sister. And, you know, like it, it kind of all just tied into one thing. And I actually enjoyed it at that time because I felt like I had everything that I needed right there. Everything that I had been lacking up until that point was now provided by this group. And it was in this group, I was not just kind of like this guy on the outskirts, you know? I was somebody who was like, oh, no, you know, silent, solid. You know, he's, he's, he matters. He's somebody. Mm-hmm. I had more of a voice, and my opinion counted more than just the average guy. And although this wasn't a big game by any means, I also liked that, too, because there was a lot of close, tight-knit. You know, it was, it was a very tight-knit group of individuals. So I knew every single member on a per, more personal level than where larger gangs that have generationally, they've been around for a long time, it's like, you got guys that don't even know each other. Sometimes they'll run into each other in prison or on the streets. Oh, you know, you're so-and-so, and okay, I'm, I'm so-and-so from this same, you know. From Three this generations same. of the same gang and yeah, sort of thing. Right? Yeah, just so many numbers, so many different generations that they don't even, everybody doesn't know everybody. It's impossible to, to keep track of. But I sold the fact that it was this group of people, I felt very invested in each individual. Maybe not at the same level, but, you know. Mm-hmm. So there was that, and um yeah, that's 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 just how it went down, and it started um started I started gang banging, and um I was already using drugs, I was gang banging, and um I never really looked at what I did was wrong. Maybe I maybe I um I kind of knew that there was something I could be doing better, but it didn't really matter, you know, mm-hmm. because 
it was what was important to me. It was like, God, oh, I didn't have to do this. But at that point, I didn't look at it like a gang. I looked at it like I was doing, um, I was doing things for my family. And at, at this point, too, it's, uh, it's important to, not important, but, uh, you know, obviously our mother, our biological mother had passed this time. Yeah. Your father had been killed in a car accident. Um, yeah, I never knew him. Actually, yeah. I never knew him. And then our grandparents were, like we said, they were, they're, they were so the greatest people we know, but in a lot of ways, they were very faulted. Um, our grandmother was very uh, nurturing, and which was gangster because she stood by us whenever we'd fuck up and stuff like that. But also, um, you know, she didn't have the, uh, the sense because she was old. She, you know, she didn't have enough sense to be down there with us falling around, showing up at her friend's house, fucking chasing us out of the bad things, you know? Yeah, so that, yeah, the important thing to remember, like, well, where are the parents at this? They're, you know, grandparents, very old. Yeah. Yeah, they couldn't keep their finger on the pulse. They were like, <laughs> you know, we could run circles around them. When I would tell uh, Grandpa that, you know, I had done drugs in high school and Randy did too, he was in complete denial. That did not happen. You guys were, ra- you know, just completely <laughs> like in this. And I was like, no, I did lots of drugs in high school. Like, I did this, I did that. I could see Pop saying that too, like, nah. No, <laughs> not, yeah. <laughs> just fucking complete what you, denial. What are you, know? you talking about? Yeah. Shut up. Oh, I, I never hit you. You know, like, but, oh, yeah, but you know, it's just kind of those things. But um, yeah, so, you know, we, we found the, I think we both did, we found a brotherhood in our friends where we would flock to them for, you know, moral support. We felt like they all got us, like most teenagers do. But when you're involved in something, like a gang or a clique or whatever, it gets a lot deeper than that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I say there was drug use, but like I could be with the group and I, there didn't even have to be alcohol or drugs present. When I was with the group, that was enough. You know, that, that, that's, that's, that standard had became that important to me. So, I mean, I remember some of my most active days, there was, yeah, there was drinking and drugs, but we called it chipping just here and there, you know? But from, from, for all purposes, that was like almost just like a high in itself, yeah. kind of just having that, you know, and the mm-hmm. intensity with which um, you don't see it as much today just because I think it's generational with the street gangs that are out there. It's more of a it's more of a like every gorilla for themselves type of a mentality. But to just have, you know, to be invested emotionally and mentally into something to that degree where I, you know, even though it was very juvenile and very short-sighted, it didn't, it didn't change the fact that I, I, I was believed in this. It fed me in such a way where it was like, it was its own drug. <laughs> you know, that gangster shit was like a fucking drug. Uh, the, the, the homies, you know, I mean, the homeboy, I'd do anything for the homeboy. You know, I, I, I didn't necessarily, well, p- put it this way, like, I, I really, from my heart, I did love my na- I did love my neighborhood. I did love my homeboys. And a, th- a thing we talk about, me and you have talked about this, is sort of the mentality of a young man. And exactly. how, yeah. how, how they're influenced by, you know, that's why the military wants young people, the gangsters are looking out for young people. And- Absolutely, because if somebody were to try to talk me into being into a gang today, I mean, I, you know, that, that pitch wouldn't work. Right. You know, I'd and be I- like, what the, f- I, you're out of your fucking mind. Why would I do this? Right. But at that time, I was, I was this very young, impressionable, you know, kid with this, this need to be macho, you know, and this need to fit in and finding those brother, that brotherhood and, the, you know, being that rebel and all that shit, you know, it, 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 on so many different levels of my personality, it pulled me in, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, like, for another story about that was uh, our grandfather, for those of you guys that seen Blood In, Blood Out, uh, Miklo, the character in real life, was locked up with our grandfather. And, you know, Pop said, oh, yeah, he never tried to recruit me, but that's all he did. He would just go in there and try to recruit people for the 
yeah. But anyway, it was just it was the idea of um, you know that young the younger guys. You go out, they're predators in a lot of ways, and they're going after younger guys, and they're trying to uh, get them involved into things. Um, so you obviously kind of had other guys telling you things too, right? Well, I had a I had a it was it was. There was a generation above me, like I th- the gang I was in started in the late 80s. I joined in the late 90s, so there was a generation of guys above me. And um, at the time, I, I held what they what they said and what they valued at a very at a very high standard. And you know, I I, I do 12 step uh, program now. I do a Narcotics Anonymous, and it's not supposed to promote it or anything. I'm not promoting it, but I mean, like yeah. I, I I go to these meetings. Those meetings saved my life. They helped me to save my life. Um, there's a saying in there that says misinformed people giving up misinformation and really i look back at it it's just like these guys were just doing what had been done to them and the whole thing was somebody had bullshitted them i guess or they seen they seen the world that they seen and chose the path they chose based on something that they thought was one way, but maybe there was a better way to do it, mm-hmm. you know? And it's in turn, started recruiting younger people, and I eventually started recruiting younger people. And I, even, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's very toxic. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's a toxic, it's a toxic lifestyle, but it's more of, it's more like, what I, mean, what I really mean by that is that it's like having toxic relationships, like, there's a better way to live in general than that, you know, mm-hmm. but these people, but a lot of people don't know what that is. So upon living like that, they're only going to respond and react with what they have. They might not know any, any better, whether it's good or bad, you know, so they gave me what they had, which was just street love, you know, and that was it. And I turned as I got older, I didn't really. And, and since I had only ever aspired to be a part of that world, I only in turn had that, you know, so mm-hmm. I wanted younger people. I wanted new recruits. I wanted to take that, you know, to the next level. And that meant continuing the, the existence of my, you know, my neighborhood, my clique, so it could thrive, so it could grow. And that meant bringing new people in. And, you know, I tried to take them under my wing and look after these individuals as best as I could as almost younger brothers and stuff like that. But in reality, like what, what we're talking about is the whole lifestyle itself was, was bad. Mm-hmm. There was a better, there's a better way to do things than that. But at the time, living that life, doing what I was doing, that was the, that was the, uh, the vehicle, <laughs> you know? Right. So you're, so you're, you're getting older. Um, at this point, you're, you've graduated from using weed to using harder drugs, right? Yes. And you've kind of experimented and it's, it's coming, getting harder and harder. And uh, when does it sort of come to a point where, you know, you start to realize, because and, and, a lot of people don't step out of things. You know, they stay in the, the muck. Yeah, it's easy to st- it's easy to get trapped. You know, mm-hmm. they, ca- they call you call it a trap, a trap house, shit like that. Nowadays, that's a that's a different vernacular than uh, my generation. But yeah, it's 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 so, in the prison they called it the web. You know, you get stuck in, <laughs> can't get out. Mm-hmm. It's I knew I was told the breaks when I was young, so I have I I take full accountability for my I I personally do full responsibility for my entire life. Mm-hmm. I don't. Bl- I, the game has been good to some people, but we all played by the same rules. We all knew the score when we got involved. Same, you know, and because it doesn't work out for one individual who plays or whatever like that, and they come up short, there's no reason to uh, to then blame the game. It is, it, it is as it always was. You mm-hmm. know, streets change, shit changes, 
and yeah, I um, I had always had a meth habit to one degree or another. I don't. Maybe at times it was less than a habit. Mm-hmm. I liked it, you know, but it, it developed into a habit, into a full blown addiction. So, yeah, now I have this meth monster on my back. I'm smoking shit all the time. I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. Sometimes I'm fucking lucid. Sometimes I'm not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I'm paranoid. My moods, my moods up and down, and it's just and it's getting progressively worse. That and I, that's another thing for for an outsider looking in. They might just, they might think, well, what's going on? They, and it, it's hard to relate unless you've been there. Mm-hmm. It had already had its hooks so deep into me that that there was just no calling it off you know and i was told and this goes back to what i was saying like you're gonna pay for this one day all these things that you're doing are gonna have consequences your drug use your gang banging the decisions you're making and i was like yeah okay i accept those consequences but i didn't really as a as from the place that i was in in my life uh maturity or experience wise didn't understand what the fuck that even meant i just knew like oh yeah i'll deal with it when it happens when those things came they were much they were very real you know, it was, much, it was much different than an idea of what might happen. It was a reality. And, you know, it's a, very, it's a very cold, dark place that one finds himself in um, being addicted to crystal meth to the, to the degree that I was because I was full-blown at one point. And, I mean, that's, that, that, became, that became my higher power, crystal meth, after a while. It wasn't the gang. You know, it wasn't God. You know, when I was young, I liked to think mom was like my higher power. When I was a very little kid, you know, mm-hmm. then I found the gang then that and then you know then it became crystal and crystal is a she makes you feel very good but she's a she's a very treacherous bitch yeah it's a, it's a violent <laughs> drug too you know so it's a very violent drug and like you said the paranoia all this kind of stuff you come you put that together with you know a sort of a gangbanging lifestyle i mean that that'll put anybody over to the edge really you know yeah there was just um i mean looking back at it now there was just a lot of uh a lot of um, a lot of bad advices and bad paths that I had taken, you know. And I found when I found myself addicted, the whole gang thing went out the window. It didn't go out the window like we like I had spoke on. There's gang members, gang bangers, and I think it go it one it goes to talk to, or tell the way that one values values it. I was a gang member, but my main priority was now using drugs. Right. The getting and using and finding ways and means to get more and to indulge in that. So when, when that becomes that important, because, because being a drug addict, an everyday addict, it's very demanding. It's very demanding. Oh, yeah. and it, requires, it requires everything. You know, it doesn't just take uh, first and second place. It takes like first, second, third, and then everything else comes in after. Like, what do, you, what do you have time for after that? So, yeah, I was a gang member by name and title, and that was probably it. My, my main focus in life now was... Um, was was smoking meth and so this kind of culminates you know you get you get deeper deeper more and more shit um you end up uh doing some time yeah did a little bit of time um attacked somebody in about in front of about 30 witnesses and my i was so i was so fucked up on um <laughs> on drugs my this broad daylight in front of about 30 people that my my belief was like yeah these people know better than to uh than to rat me out, and most of them did, but it only takes one, you know. It only that's all it really took. Yeah, that's yeah. all it really took was one person, and I mean, any any 
anybody in any rational state of mind is going to be like, well, this is a stupid crime to pull out. You know, you're going to have to kind of expect somebody to say something. Yeah, so I attacked some guy in broad daylight, uh, hit him over the head with a bottle. Me and a buddy of mine, we beat him up pretty good. There was uh, there was some, um, we'll just say some, at this time, some enhancements thrown behind the charge as to where it would have just been an assault with a deadly weapon. There was a type of an enhancement that was used to, uh, to bump up the crime. So they want, they also wanted, it's called, they were called allegations back then that you had gang allegations and you had other type of allegations. So Mm -hmm. they wanted to give me an allegation. Um, if I copped out, I took a, I took two years with a strike and because I had a paid attorney, didn't have a public, uh, defender, public pretender, as we called him, uh, somebody who's just overworked, he's, completely overworked his caseload is just massive and he's just trying to do get you in and out sometimes they're newer law students and newer law students the guy was just can't cut it as a as a private attorney so that's his gig he's got 50 case cases he's got to go through you're just somebody comes in and he has two minutes to talk with this is what i could do for you see you the next time you got you you almost kind of have to you're you're playing with them they're playing with the judge and the prosecutor so it's a whole it's a whole uh Let's make a deal type of a thing. That's, you know, once you get into the system and you see that, you get a little better understanding of, well, sometimes there's justice, sometimes there's not. It's just, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of, like, how, how somebody sees things. If you have money to be better represented, you're going to get a better deal. That's just the way that goes. Well, that's what all these rich people, how did, it's like money. That's how it got away with it, money. <laughs> money. Or, you know, but, and even if it doesn't get, get you off scot-free, it sure as fuck increases your chances by all a hell of a lot, mm-hmm. a hell of a lot. So I, had, I did have a paid attorney, and the rundown was your case doesn't look, you, you don't really have a lot of action. Your case is kind of like very clear cut. It is what it is because of this allegation and your arrest record, which wasn't major. I hadn't been to state prison at that time or anything like that, but I, had a, I was, on, uh, you know, was on felony probation. I'd been in and out of county. I was, a, I was a validated gang member. This allegation that they were throwing on top of it, the, you know, the fact that, I mean, there was no question about my, my guilt in this particular thing. It was just right there. He's like, well, I can't get, I, this is what I can give you. I can give you two years and a strike. I can't guarantee you that it'll get any better. It might get worse. It might go up. This is, this is as good as it's going to get, and it might not always be this good. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, took the deal. It was no big deal at the time. I always knew that in county jail, uh, stuff like that, I always knew I'd be seeing state prison. I, the way I looked at it, two years in a strike, I was kind of more pissed off about the fact that I got the strike. And for those people that aren't familiar that are listening, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out. The third strike, 25 to life. Back in the day, you had guys getting struck for stealing a slice of pizza, literally. If you depend on how it went down, if he took a piece, uh, this guy, I don't know the exact details of the case, but he got a 25 to life sentence for taking a piece of pizza out of a kid's hand. He's like constituted as a type of a robbery. Right. He had two strikes to give him a third one on that. He ended up going up for 25 to life. You know, and I'd heard uh, other horror stories of guys like with a piece of uh, fo- uh, cotton that he was shooting uh, heroin out of, you know, in his pocket. Two striker. They found that. He was on probation or whatever. Boom. You know, 25 to life. So I, they, they did a lot to amend and to change that. They put it more in, like, in the realms of reason. But in the beginning, guys were getting struck. Because we've known guys with two strikes. And we're like, when the fuck are they going to give them the third one? <laughs> what, and then there's that too. Right. That's what I mean. The, the system can be so arbitrary. But it's, it's kind of like life. It's like 
you see some guys get away with shit their whole life, and then you know some guy goes out there the first time out in the field, and he just gets he gets hit, clipped, or caught. You know, mm-hmm. and it's prisons like that too. Everybody's prison experience is different. Some guys they walk through it without a problem. Some guys find themselves in the in the middle of the mix their first day, and I mean it's possible they walk in and uh, some shit pops off. It's already been going on. For yeah, a while. yeah, it's out, totally outside of their power or anything they can do about it. So you never you, you know you never know how, what's going to happen. You can only control so much, and I think that's where. You learn. I learned the the. I felt the the my my position in life a little bit more clear because you can be a hard motherfucker, but then you go to prison and you realize that there's just all kinds of hard motherfuckers everywhere, all kinds of them. You know, some of these guys got no date. They're never coming home. They're they're multiple murders. That that's his, that's their world till death doesn't part, and it's just gonna be like that. And there's a shitload of them. And you told me there was another a, a story about a guy that was um, a military guy. The security guard? Uh, no, you're talking about a military guy, and he saw that some people were going to rob him, so he... Yeah, he was a security guard. He's at oh, the Commerce you. Casino. So he li- this older guy. I was in county with him. Ah, fuck. I think his name was Little Joe. We called His name was Joe, but he was, we called him Little Joe. He was a very old man. That was his name in the, he was in the street. He uh, Vietnam veteran, armed security guard, square dude. First time he'd ever found himself in the jail system. So he, uh, he was at a license to be an armed security guard. And um, he lived in Long Beach in an apartment, and some homeboys had kicked him in his door to do a home invasion robbery on him. And they were kicking on the door trying to get in the house for a minute, so he was able to get his wife and his daughter in the bathroom and grab his gun, and he ter- killed the lights, and he stood in the shadows. So when these guys came running in, they didn't see him, off the, and he opened fire, and he dropped one of them. Now, you would think, totally within his rights. Well, you would think a hero. A fucking hero. Oh, they, yeah. they, they, they gaffled him up, and originally, this charge was murder. But it ended up getting busted down to uh, discharging a firearm within a dwelling. <laughs> so, uh, and I mean, like you said, and then I could go on the other end of the spectrum where there's just this guy who totally didn't deserve it, you know. Well, that, that's the case, and, and he got, got fucked up. Or this guy who, you know, who gets away and, and everything in between, you know. Yeah. It's, it's so, re- it, the, the county you get caught in. Because... Yeah. Long Beach, I, for, I, I, I know it's a very strict county, and they it's like the, they like to lynch, they like to lynch people, mm-hmm. the the prosecutors, the the whole system out there. So it's like, don't get caught up out there because they're not gonna they're not gonna be as lenient. Because what if the guys broke in, they rape his wife, they tie him up, they beat him, and then they steal their shit? It's like it could have you don't know what would would have gone down, right? I, yeah, when he told me. I was I was in I was I was in disbelief. I was like, You're, they actually fucking arrested the guys. The guys had a gun too. Yeah, they were in there to do a home invasion. Yeah, you know they were in there to rob him. To yeah, rob. Yeah, yeah, and it was his registered weapon. Yeah, that he fired, and yeah, they did. You know, they wanted him to to suffer some kind of a penalty. You know, which to me was just I couldn't fucking believe it. it was just yeah, a mis- just a total miscarriage of any type of a justice, and you know that's. That I've always had a hard, a uh, very hard line about authority. I really hate authority, even to this day. I'm not very, I'm very skeptical when it comes to people in positions of authority, whether it be police, judges, uh, uh, religious figures, any anybody who's a mouthpiece for any kind of an organization that you know that holds himself separate to the rest of the group. You know, mm-hmm. where they're kind of given this special privilege or they're looked upon in this special way. Because I've seen so much misuse, misabuse of those kind of things where. You know, the people that create the rules or that enforce the rules, well, those rules don't apply to them. You know, and that doesn't just go for that. It can go for, uh, it can go for the criminal world, too, as well. You know, I'm not going to really, I don't really want to get too much into that. But, I mean, you know, that's, it's just uh, the absolute power corrupts absolutely type of a deal. Mm-hmm. I've, I, and, and just the level of incompetence and hypocrisy. I've, oh, yeah. I've seen, it, I've seen it within the system 
from the outside looking into where people might be like, oh, well, that doesn't go on. You know, the cops are the good guys and the criminals are the bad guys. Look, I have not, criminals are bad, bad guys. Yeah, I've seen, uh, I've seen plenty, of, plenty of cops that were bad guys too. Oh, they're just people. They were That's just why people pe- yeah. people have misconstrued that. Like, oh, he's a, you know, a reverend, or like a, making a murder, for example. People were shocked right. at making a murder. I can't believe the cops set somebody. I'm like, what? The, where the fuck have you been your whole life? Like, and for me, it's and for me, it's that easy. It's it's just that without even a without even a conscious thought. Like, where the fuck have these people been? For me, I just know because I've just seen it so much. Yeah. You know, and that's not to that's not to talk about the nobility of the, uh, the criminal, like all oh, the poor cr- no. No, yeah. criminals do what they do. And, you know, a lot of cops are criminals. Yeah, they're people. And, yeah. you know, just like anything else, there's good people and there's shitty people. And, you know, yeah. any profession, any there's always a line of people that suck. And those people, it's, you know, oh, well, how did this happen? They're, they're doctors, they're nurses, they're fucking people. They're and, people and you don't, you know, just because they have a job title or they, they appear to be one thing. That doesn't that doesn't speak to their the entirety of their being, you know, the, right. the, 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 the entirety of them, who they are, who they are as a person, you know, that 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 that's much deeper. That goes much deeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this kind of comes. What 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 kind of things in prison? Because you said you you were witness to things that sort of opened your eyes too to a lot of. <clears throat> yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, definitely, I be right. careful how I, <laughs> how I tread with this. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um. I guess I had this romanticized, naive. Well, I didn't. There's no guessing about it. I had a romanticized, naive version about prison. So from that gang world, I wouldn't really consider myself legit until I went to prison. Right. I had to go to prison first. For me personally, it was a personal feeling that I had. Like, yeah, once I go to the go to the pen, then you know I'll be more of a man. You know, until then I can only be taken so seriously. And lucky it was for lucky I. I hmm. I ended up going for something like that before it progressed into greater things. Right. So for just an assault. So I'm glad I'm glad that it didn't have to progress past that. So when I'm when I was up there, I didn't know really know what to expect going in. But I just knew that this was like, hey, this was the place where it all happens. Now I'm going into the pen. And I think I was just my eyes were my like you said. My eyes were open, and in reality, the reality, the situation. I seen most people there, and I'm talking about you know just in general, all across the board, amongst the, but really specifically amongst whites and Hispanics, were just people with uh, drug problems, mm-hmm. misled in you know misled in the misled individuals, people with problems. I, you know, not to say that they shouldn't have been they should or they shouldn't have been there. It's just that I had this idea, this notion that you know this is where like fucking this is where, this is the pinnacle of something great, but really what I seen was a lot of people who had suffered a lot of, um, a lot of damage from drugs, from fucked up upbringings, from bad, you know, from broken families, from shit like that, people that couldn't deal with their problems, and they had, they wound up here. And there was just, it was, I joined this gang, part of that, 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 uh, that rebellious thing where it's like, well, I don't want to be a part of this. So we're going to start, I'm going to be a part of this other system. And I went to this system and I found out it was just like the other system, except that there were shittier prizes involved, Right. <laughs> you know, and there, and there, it really doesn't get you anywhere. There's, there's at least out in the free world, it's not perfect, but you have more, you have more 
say in what it is you do and how you shape your life right there the the choices are the road is very narrow you're not gonna and you know contrary to what people because anybody's gonna like i said going in there a big bad guy there's 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 hundreds of big bad guys in there you know Mm -hmm. i'm not gonna i'm not gonna put up with anybody's shit fly that flag high enough long enough and i go to prison you're gonna see what happens Mm -hmm. you know it's not gonna. It's not gonna work out. Not gonna have a fun time. Right. You know. So there's a lot of attitudes. Well, nobody's gonna tell me what to do. Well, actually, being in those positions and being in that world, then we'll see. You know. Yeah, that's what a lot and of then, people think about the military too. Like, oh, someone's yelling at me. I'm gonna get crap. I'm like, you don't know when you're in there because it's yeah. not a matter of you're gonna get into it with this guy and you're gonna have a disagreement. Like, they're gonna throw you in the fucking brig for disordering. Like, you're part of the government now. Yeah. You know, and there there's consequences that are gonna be a lot more. Um, it's not going to be as simple as let's fight it out and, <laughs> you know. Yeah, straight up. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, I'm a bit, you know, I, I, well, let's fight. You know, nobody's trying to fight with you in prison. Mm-hmm. You're going to get jumped. You're going to get stabbed. You're going to get slashed. Something bad's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. It's, this is, it's not, it's not a dick measuring contest. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of macho bullshit, but that, you know, that's just, that's just the facade. Mm-hmm. It's really, there's really a program and there's really a way that things run. Nobody's going to, you know, nobody's going to, going to approach you and deal with you like a, if you're being if you're being a conducting yourself out of pocket like an idiot like 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 a kid you know you're mm-hmm. a grown man and it's, you're expected to conduct yourself as a grown man and that was that was just where I started to question my life is like all these things that I had been doing up until that point from my neighborhood on the street where I was what I was doing in there where I was headed where this was going but more so than that because I had always been seen that that's where I was going I started to question the why I think the why like is this really worth it? But more than just that, too, is just like, can't you do better, dude? You know, mm-hmm. can't you try to try to do something different with your life than what you're doing? Because at the end, it's just at the end, I'm gonna just end up being somebody else with a drug problem, can't deal with his issues, going in and out and getting caught up in that, you know. And I, and I think that's where the seed of change was planted, and it didn't get out and change. But it had, it had definitely made an impression on me as to where, like, a lot of the, the romantic, you know, just childish notions that I had had going in, you know, stupid kid, um, had kind of been dispelled. And I, st- I, I continued doing what I was doing and living the life that I was living, but it had definitely cast a lot of doubt into my head as to, like, but on a, on a, on a, on a level of self where, like, is this all you want out of your life? Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's really important too because most people lack self-reflection. Just the ability, you know, like you said, you just put the seed in. But most people, what drives me crazy is, you know, they're upset or they're pissed off or they're doing this or they're doing that. And I'm like, why are you doing that? And they don't have any conscious thought to it. And that's what drives me fucking crazy. Like now I think it's to the point where it's almost detrimental to me because I'm always like, why did I do that? Why am I doing this? And it's, it drives you fucking crazy. It's easier not to think about it sometimes, right? Yeah, I think so. You know, mm-hmm. especially when you don't know what to do because when I would toy with the idea of getting my shit together and stop using drugs and this and this and that, I had been, I had been living a certain way for so long. I was like, well, now what are you going to do? Just grow your hair out? Back then it was bald heads, you know? Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Just grow my hair out, tuck my shirt in, pretend that this is not who I am and just all of a sudden I'm going to just become this totally different human being than I've been. The, 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 you know, the fear of change has to outweigh 
you know, or the fear of what's going on has to outweigh the fear of change sometimes before something can happen, you know? And the fear of change is fucking terrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah. You know, and it's not something in that world that you ever really talk about is fears, feelings, you know, hey, homeboy, I'm scared, you know? Yeah. My girlfriend, hey, my girl was talking to me and she kind of hurt my feeling. You know, you're going to get laughed off the block. Like, get the fuck out of here with that, man. With anybody. With yeah, anybody, really, yeah, yeah, you know? So it's like, you kind of got to like, you kind of got to just suck it up and internalize a lot of shit. But yeah, when I looked at it, I was very, I was just afraid. And it it was there was nothing bad it was just a a normal natural fear you know fear is not a bad thing fear keeps you from uh, you know stepping out in the street it, keep, it helps you look both ways you know it makes you think about you know the tomorrow maybe i better be on point maybe i better be looking for a bit you know for more long-term solutions to my to my issues than just hey let me load up the pipe get high right or, or whatever it is let me use this little bit of money to buy a 40 drink that forget about that when you're when when it's really there's there's a bigger picture to be looked at yeah and like you said fears it's a without fear there's no courage because you know courage isn't the absence of fear it's it's what you're doing in the face of fear absolutely and you know when i became a big time tweaker when i changed into just this huge tweaker that's what you really see with a lot of people that are tweaking the the that are just deluding themselves and myself included. I'm not, I'm not separating myself from that is that you just stop giving a fuck. You just stop giving a shit. You're not feeling fear, but you're not feeling uh, anything. You're not feeling happiness. You're not feeling joy. When you, when you devalue your life to that point and it just doesn't really matter, your life just ceases to have any fucking joy or anything. It's not a big deal, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're, and you're numbing yourself all the time with drugs. So, you don't really feel things that you should be feeling. It's a very unnatural state for a human being to be in, for a, for a mental and emotional uh, place to be. And we talked about that as, uh, you know, we grew up sort of idolizing these guys that would, uh, you know, they don't show their emotions. They sit there, but then, you know, they always show them sitting there drinking, you know, or they show <laughs> yeah. them, uh, you know, beating their wife or like there's no such thing or, you know, they don't want to admit that their wife's cheating. on Whatever the case is, it's like they don't, those feelings are there. They're going to come out. They're going to express themselves in a toxic way or it's going to be a healthy way yeah yeah toxic masculinity you know that was um i mean i grew up in the as a little kid in the 80s so it's big muscles um attitude and don't you know looking back every all them guys had feelings and problems but you kind of you kind of became overly overly aggressive mm-hmm. you know and that's that's how i dealt with my shit that's how i dealt with my issues and um I guess that that's useful for certain things. It's kind of like when I'm talking about the street in prison. Those, 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 there's lessons there that are good. They're good for that life, and they're good for helping you through that world. But if you want to go and move on to something else, you're going to have to learn. There's more things to be learned, more mm-hmm. lessons to be had. And it's tough to start over as a, grown, you know, as a grown man and realize, hey, I have these feelings, I have these problems, I have these vulnerabilities and these issues. Same as anybody else because I'm a human being. And then, too, well... Where the hell do you go? Because society, there's, you know, watch the, watch the grown man. I mean, be careful of that motherfucker, the guy that just wants to take you under your wing and nurture you and help. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of places for, for people to, to go and, and, and to be put up on game about life like that. So I was mixed bag, you know, mixed blessing. I mean, I got very strung out and there's nothing noble about it. No, you know, no great spiritual uh, revelation. I was just playing the last card I had. I was like, wow, man, I can't, I could not find myself. I could not get myself out of my room. I was just smoking shit, stuck in one spot, fucked up, paranoid out of my mind, could not stop loading the pipe, could not get out of the room. 
torturing your little brother. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, by then you had already moved out and you were you were doing you know you were actually having a life. I was just in there mm-hmm. living with just me. I had a room and grandma. Room looked like shit. Grandma would be in the other room, you mm-hmm. know. And um, I would just be in there. And that's the thing too. Is you know at this point I'm getting clean. Twenty nine year old man, no jobs, no prospects, no friends, no girlfriend, no nothing. A meth pipe, and that was it. And you know I. Uh, a head a head full of fucking just fucking broken fucked up thoughts too mm-hmm. and not knowing how to stop so as as a as a, a hail mary really like hey fuck it why not i'd been na on court cards so i got caught with some some dope or some booze before and they make you go to meetings i always sign off my card myself shit i probably shouldn't have said that i did not i did not yeah so um, <laughs> you know i I'd, I'd fake my way through these meetings you know, and um, I'd sit through them or whatever just to get them just to get them done so I could get it in and out and I could get the court card signed. And that was it. But this time around, I was like, well, why not? Because I had been to those meetings and I had seen some people that I could tell had come from similar backgrounds, had gone through similar shit, sometimes even crazier shit than I had gone through. And they were I could see it in their face that it was genuine. It wasn't something that they were faking. They had really turned their life around and they had a sm- measure of some kind of peace in their life. They could see it in their eyes. They wore it in the face. The same way when you're just beat down and fucked up by drugs, you wear it in your face. You yeah, know, it shows. Yeah. I'd have people all the time be like, oh, you all right? Like, you know what's going on? I'm like, I'm fine. Everything's cool. I'm drunk. It's like, nah, <laughs> yeah. dude, something's not right with this guy. That sort of yeah. thing, you know? Yeah, it shows. You know, mm-hmm. we, we wear it. We wear it like, a, like it's just a part of us, so. I had went there and I'd really pretty much just surrendered to the fact that I needed this program to help me, to, to help me help myself to save my life. And I, I actually became open to the idea of like, well, maybe I don't know everything. Help, help me to learn, you know, help me to, to understand. And it worked out. I got clean for a number of years. I was clean for eight, oh, going on almost eight years and then um, had a little hiccup. But uh, got myself back up off of that. I think. Uh, sorry, I just didn't want to go too far ahead. But um, saying that you need help is the it's it's so cliche too to be like you know just let someone. But it's fucking true. People, even if they're broken and they just don't want to be like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Can you help me? Like people don't want to do that. They don't want to admit that they don't know shit and that everything's fucked up around them. But people don't like to. They just you know. Yeah. There's a. There's a amount of pride involved, and I just uh, people don't want to appear stupid. Mm-hmm. People don't want to appear weak, and it's totally understandable because when you are there are there are vultures out there. There are vultures in the world, and in, 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 in any place you go, there's people that are going to want to take advantage of a situation. See somebody down, they're going to want to kick them. That's their instinct. Maybe they maybe they've been abused. They've had that uh, kick dog syndrome their whole life, and they want the only thing that's going to make them feel better. Is to turn around and to do it to somebody else. That that does exist in the program too. In, in the program, at the workplace, in church, on the street, in prison, at home. Sometimes, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. everywhere you go, like you like going back to what you said. They're people. People are people, man. Fucking people, and they're you know. <laughs> but but yeah. but I mean the, the 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 really important thing to learn, or, or to try to understand, is that anything worth having in this life. It's about, it comes with people. It's about interacting with people. You can't have the good without the bad. You can't get anywhere without taking risks, you know? Mm-hmm. Not to say be reckless, but you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone and step out, 
even if it's just a little bit for a little while to try to do something different, to try to do something that's going to maybe have a positive effect or, 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 or take you in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, most people that I know, it's just fear that keeps them in the same place. Mm-hmm. You know, fear of being judged by their fellow man. They don't want to ask for help because they don't want to be judged. They don't want to be perceived as something. They don't want to be laughed at and have their feelings hurt, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just very, very simple, basic stuff. And I, I think, I think uh, the ego's a good thing. I think a degree of narcissism is healthy. I, you know, I don't, I don't subscribe to this very, um, this very universal God, this very, like, you know, Eastern philosophy of let them go with the flow all the time. Like, sometimes, you know, the only way things happen is if you force them to happen, you know? But I do believe that you have to lighten up and you have to give yourself a break at some point. And take it easy and just admit the truth to yourself. And if you need help, yeah, there's a lot of shady people in the world, but there's a lot of people that actually, that they're not perfect, but they're genuinely willing and want to help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people want to help, but they just might not know how. They might, yeah. they might not have any, they might not understand your experience and what it is you're going through. They might have no advice to give you, mm-hmm. but they'd be happy to, you know, make suggestions and point you in the right direction. You know, there are there are places you can go and you can get better if you find yourself in these dark holes because how you called it a trap or how it's called a trap. It, it is that it is that. And we look at a mouse that gets caught in a rat trap. And, you know, a lot, a lot of times I would just think to myself, that's a stupid animal. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when somebody finds himself there, and, you know, all their intelligence and all that stuff, their strength, their willpower, it, 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 it hasn't served to, to keep them out of it. And it's not going to get them out of it. You know, it's a cold shot, man. It's a cold, it's a cold dose of reality. Mm-hmm. It's very humbling. But sometimes those painful lessons, they can be blessings in disguise because it's like they, ha- they can help us grow. They can help us make adjustments and change and add to our understanding and our experience. Then you realize that, hey, everybody's just human. I'm just human. You know, you learn to be more, to be for, well, for me anyway, to be more in tune with, who it is I really am. I have strengths. I have weaknesses. You know, I have needs. I'm, a, I'm just a human being, but to, nah, just let me be the best human being that I possibly can be. Not by anybody else's standard or what they might think that might be, but to something that makes sense, that I understand, that I can love and understand and makes sense to me on a, on a deeper level, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's, uh, it's good to say too, like as far as, you know, people is, uh, trying to understand motives. I always tell people, I'm like, well, what's their motive for doing that? Even if they're trying to help them, I'm like, well, what's their motive? What are they getting out of it? And sometimes it's to boost their own ego. Sometimes it's to pat themselves on the back. Sometimes it's because they feel good about helping other people, which is a good motive. There's good and bad motives. Yeah, some people, it's a dopamine fix. They, they help people. And uh, that's why, like, in a lot of 12-step programs, they'll redirect that into helping people. And you see with a lot of people, helping somebody is like it's like an addi- it can become an addiction. Yeah. But it's a better addiction than uh, having a meth pipe in your mouth or you know a needle in your arm or, or or something like that. But yeah, you see, for a lot of people, it's just them trying to get their fix, and you know, nothing wrong with it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just some people have the bad intentions, like oh, if I do this, then I could tell people, or I could, you know, start this business, or you know, even just in the gym, yeah. you see people that want to help people, but I'm like, why is he trying to help you? Like this fucker wants to just get you on his side so he could say he worked with you or so you could follow his plan even though it's, you know, there's yeah, just always well, something. Working the angles, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The, the working the angles, yeah. And that, go, that goes on everywhere. You know, and I, anything. Yeah, mm-hmm. and anything. I always like the 12-step programs because um, 
it's good training for life you know there yeah. is there there is no there is no sacred place no peaceful place no no perfect time you know mm -hmm. the golden age there's no there's no gold as far as as far as i'm concerned mm -hmm. you know there's none there's just people and what they do now we have what we i think way better off at least in this country than people of pre previous generations in the sense that we have a wealth of information and knowledge to learn from you know his that's why i've always studied history and i've always loved history is because you learn the lessons of the past you learn the failures and the the, the, the successes of people so na is a good place or 12-step programs are a good place to go not because that those those things don't go on but because they're less detrimental like you know Shit, shit can happen in those places, but like if you're out on the street and you need to get, you need to get your shit together, you can go there, and you know people might say something to judge you or hurt your feelings. You know, generally, you can still get punched in the face in meetings. I've you know I've known of guys, that got, <laughs> known of guys that got knocked out in meetings. You know, stuff right. like that. But I mean, you don't you got, you know, out there in the streets. It's it's sometimes it's, it's a dog eat dog. It's the jungle. You know, and you can't you you know. You can only, you have to walk very, very guarded and very careful. You know, over there you can loosen up and get a little bit more practice. It's like practice for life, you know, and you can, so you can go back out there and apply it and learn a better way. But, yeah, there's no, there's no getting around that, um, that things are going to be what they are. You know, like we were talking about this the other day, Jerry Seinfeld's stand-up video. He goes, yeah, you know, everybody's life sucks. Mine sucks probably a lot less <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it still sucks at some point it's like hey you know everybody's life's got issues and problems there's no there is no just if and if you're on a good streak of shit's just rock and roll and it's been all fucking good and you're just having a blast enjoy that shit yeah because sooner or later i'm not saying the world's gonna crash but i mean sooner or later it's gotta end and when you're up and you gotta come back down to reality it's always like oh fuck you know that's why i i, I have a hard time because if something good's happening i'm like okay something bad's gonna happen but I, I live in that instead of just being like this is a good point right now i gotta fucking sit back and enjoy it like everything's okay i'm always like okay when shit goes bad i gotta figure out you know and that's like fucking crippling for me but it's what? a reality it takes practice though you know right. what i mean it takes practice if you can enjoy it for a little bit and then next time you might be enjoyable to enjoy it for a little bit more i mean that's how habits habits are built really a lot of the shit's just habits mm -hmm. you know and reprogramming yourself because i don't think people's personality really changes kind of kind of set as who you are at a certain age personality wise mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean your path or your direction in life has to be mm -hmm. you know so, but so it's like yeah you know re reforming new habits reestablishing new uh new uh new ways of doing things or, you know, or, or, or altering old ways. And, and then just, you know, and then just having to, to, to be teachable and sometimes having to be taught by somebody who's younger than you or, or, you know, the opposite sex or having somebody, you know, who doesn't, maybe they haven't been through as much shit, but they have some good advice for something, you know, mm -hmm. and being willing to be like, oh, okay, okay. Right. That, 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 that's actually true. That actually, that actually helps me out. Instead of, well, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm my, I'm my ultimate authority and you, don't you know who I am? Don't you know me, homie? And mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's, it's, that stuff's good to a point. Cause you gotta, you got you have to have some kind of a self pride, you know, self respect, but, and I think also understanding the boundaries, how far one, one willing to go with it. You know, mm -hmm. there's a story this guy was telling me completely random story, nothing crazy. He's just like, we're carrying, they were carrying a refrigerator up the stairs. And rather than um, say, hold on, I, I, I can't do it, this, him and this other guy, they were carrying it up, I, or I need a rest. He tried to carry it up the whole flight of stairs, and it fell. And he 
this other dude went he was talking to his guy's girlfriend after and he goes what the hell you know is this, oh he just wants to be macho and he goes yeah every guy wants to be macho doesn't mean he had to drop the refrigerator down the stairs yeah you know what i mean like look look at the at the cost mm-hmm. because he wanted to be macho and he, you know full-on acknowledgement of yeah you know we all want to you know every man wants to feel a certain way but like let's keep things in perspective that and that's that's what i think those everything i'm kind of talking about and i'm, I'm honing in on with this were things that I didn't necessarily f- have taught to me or I didn't pick up on early on. Mm-hmm. So that's why I turned towards this kind of like this kind of a counterculture, this out, this other culture of gangs and shit like that, you know, mm-hmm. where I, it made me feel a certain way for a certain amount of time. And it was good for what it was, but I mean, there is a better way to live. Well, I think in, okay, so yours was, you know, this experience sort of going um, into like a, a kind of a, criminal if you if you will style or whatever but other people do that too like as fighters you see a lot of these fighters when the show's over they fucking fall apart you know you have everyone taking pictures of you and oh i'm doing this i'm doing that and then afterwards it's like okay who are you now right there's no grounding and it same goes for uh, actresses and actors you know once their time has passed it's like who are you as a person because right. you're gonna eventually have to face that yeah and it's fucking really hard for a lot of people once this you know the the Wool is pulled over their eye, or whatever the hell you want to say. Yeah. Um, but sort of knowing who you are as a person and sort of staying true to that when all this other shit gets thrown at you, right? Yeah, because we don't get taught that in school. No. That's you know, they, and I mean, the shit you even get taught in school is ridiculous. Like, once you get to college, from everything that I've been told, they're like, ignore all that shit that you got taught in high school. Right. So, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's a different conversation, though. One I'm, I'm not really, uh, I'm not knowledgeable on enough to have. But, I mean, yeah, no, there's no, there's no classes or no... Or those places you go to. Well, who are you? And if you're not okay with the person that's looking at you, in the you know back at you in the mirror in the morning, if you're not okay with that guy, or you don't know that guy, or you have a false perception of that guy, then, then yeah, sooner or later you can only, you can only, you can't. No matter where you run, you're always gonna be there. No matter what you do, is you're always gonna come back to yourself you can't run from yourself it's always there i think i think where i was trying to go to exactly i know exactly what you're talking about but um was if somebody how do they recognize the signs that shit might be wrong and they might need to figure something else out in your experience like as far as that's why i was kind of going to that yeah because for me i know that i was partying and doing this and doing that but i was sort of putting a fake shroud over my head and when i stopped and slowed the party down and looked at myself i fucking hated myself i was depressed sad and you know what i mean yeah if you can't be honest with yourself then there's a problem for me that's what it was when i caught myself lying to myself and i don't just mean bald-faced lies i mean justification lies of omission and all those things when i caught myself just being dishonest with myself in my own head just so I could continue to do or to take the some of the deflect some of the blow of what my life was, so I you know, because it was too heavy, then I knew I kind of had an issue. Like you know? oh, this person's not doing that. That's just me, or like justifying yeah. behaviors. And- well, just if I'm not that bad, I'm not that bad of a tweaker. That other guy's a fucking horrible tweaker. Maybe he was a worse tweaker, mm-hmm. but you know, oh by by that standard, I'm still okay. Mm-hmm. It's like well, he may be a worse fucking tweaker, but that doesn't mean that I'm any. That I'm, <laughs> that I'm not a huge, fucking derelict tweaker myself. Well, I used to go and, and uh, <laughs> you see these guys that go in and out of rehabs, you know, twenty, thirty. I'm like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Yeah. Then exactly. I go, I go into one rehab, I come out, and I'm a little bit more like, okay, you know. And then this other guy, I've gone to ten or thirty, and I'm like, yeah, you're fucking crazy. I come out of two, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna shut up. 
<laughs> yeah, like that kind of a thing. I haven't, well, I haven't been to 20 rehabs. I've been to only 10. You know, if you've been to 20, fuck, you got fucking problems. And then cracking a beer and continuing to make the same mistake. Right. Those, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Because I think at least, you know, the, in the mind, there's some part of you, some part of myself always knew that, oh, well, I'm not a tweaker. Like, yeah, you are. Yeah. You know, like, this isn't problematic. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or when I seen people that I had gone to school with that didn't live my life, and they had now emotionally and mentally, mature, as far as maturity, just surpassed me. And I was still had things in common. I, the things that made me laugh when I was 15 were still making me laugh when I was 25, 30 years old. Mm -hmm. I, st I hadn't really progressed to the next thing. Mm -hmm. They had kind of just gone to this other level and looked back at me from much different, much different um, eyes. You know, they were now these 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 adults, as mm -hmm. far as I was concerned. Well, that's what uh, yeah. we had Daniel on in, on the other recovery podcast, and one of the things he said to me that stuck out to me, he said, uh, in his sort of a uh, cool ass tone, he said, he's like, if you're doing the same shit you used to do, uh, ten years ago, he's like, w where have you like what what's your deal? Like, exactly. Like you're not progressing, you're not growing. Like exactly. Yeah. And you'll see that in recovery. There's guys that got clean. They you know got some shit came their way. You usually when you stop using drugs, shit gets better. Some doors open up, mm -hmm. some things happen, and then they just they rolled that wave 10, 20 years later. I've seen them. Yeah. Because move, move back into sober living with twenty years clean. Yeah. They don't and they're just sitting there clueless. You know, not as to not why, and it's like. In a place like that, you get so much uh, some of some of it's positive, some of it's negative. So much critique and so much information on self awareness that it's kind of hard to not like. Well, he doesn't have any idea. It's like no, I'm sure they do. They just don't want to do the work or put the effort in or make the step. And from everything I've always, for me, not always, but usually it comes back to fear, you know, because it's hard as a man when you have to feel deflated i think and like like you were saying well what about when these things end and it's like oh i'm just a regular fucking guy i'm not king shit anymore it's mm -hmm. like meh mm -hmm. you know i'm just a fucking dude you know i'm just i'm no you know just another swinging dick walking around the face of the earth mm -hmm. you know and it's it's it, 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 it's 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 rough but nothing you know no growth happens without pain right 100 percent. nothing mm -hmm. you know so just to want to do away with the pain even you know that's 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 incorrect thinking. That's bad thinking. You know, it sucks. Mm -hmm. It sucks. But hopefully it doesn't suck horribly for so long that it just keeps you in a fucked up place and you're able to use that to find something else. Mm -hmm. You know, life, um, life is a constant, a constant series of struggles and challenges and questions. Mm -hmm. You know, as soon as one shuts, you know, cuts himself off and puts their walls up too, like, oh, I got it all figured out. You know, yeah, this is it and that's it. Yeah, that's, you know, yeah. that's a wrap. I think that's that as as people get older they have a tendency to do that mm -hmm. you know and could be convinced that their way was the only way you know <laughs> and, and, and if you're not doing it their way you're just fucking retarded or you're right. some lesser life form or something and <laughs> and uh like we were saying too it's it's finding something else to fill the void going back to what you were saying yeah right because uh, i was listening to the, the i told you about this but the theo von podcast they had jordan peterson on and he's talking about uh theo just asked him something about sobriety and he said you know without being an expert on it he said well getting fucked up is great it's awesome you yeah. know it's, a, it's an awesome feeling and it's easy to do and it's cheap and you know he's like so you got to fill you got to fill that void with something better like something more awesome because otherwise you're just gonna go right back to what you're doing because that was pretty awesome right <laughs> and it's like no yeah if you get clean and you're just doing a just doing the minimum mm -hmm. it's gonna suck exactly. it's gonna suck Mm -hmm. You know, there, there has to be, there has to be some kind of a, whether it be material or whatever, some kind of an external, uh, 
attraction to to, to the life, you know. Mm-hmm. I got making, I'm making some good money. I'm, you know, I'm partying with some some hot bitches or whatever the fuck ever it is. Yeah. Well, I have deep deep. So for some people, it's not that it's deep spiritual peace, mm-hmm. you know. But they're and it's 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 very fulfilling and rewarding. There's got to be something, yeah. Once once that's gone, because um. It's like flying too close to the sun, man. You know, I mean, doing meth, having uh, having uh, sex with women on meth and, you know, tempting death and getting away with it, you know, tempting the law and getting away with it, running the streets, always being on the edge. Being, and, but, and then, you know, even if you, it, was, it was a very small pond and I was just kind of a medium fish in a small pond, feeling like I'm the man, you know, mm-hmm. and feeling like that. And a lot of this shit wasn't just given to me. I was earning it even if in a bad way and then just having to be like, okay, that's all over with. Mm-hmm. Now what? You know, exactly. it's enough. It's enough to make to make me want to. Sh- well, at the time, it was enough to make me want to shrink back into myself. Like, mm-hmm. oh my god, <laughs> I right. felt I felt like a little worm on a big fucking hook. Little know? worm on a big, <laughs> big fucking hook. <laughs> well, your mama must be damn proud of you, boy. <laughs> by the way, uh, me and my brother communicate by quoting movies. That was from The Crow. <laughs> Did you hear they're gonna do? Uh, or they were supposed to do a remake as a remake with Jason Momoa as The Crow? I heard that actually. Now that you brought it up, I had told, I had heard it a while back, and I just completely forgot about it because nothing ever yeah, happened. Yeah, the funding fell through, I guess. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I was fucking like, damn it. I heard that they're gonna make a. I'm a big, I'm a big Conan the Barbarian fan, man. They're gonna make King Conan, but it didn't, it didn't pan out either. Oh, that would be so sick! Like an old Schwarzenegger on the throne. Yeah, it's because uh, for the people that you know, Conan, there's a lot of Nietzsche in there. There's a lot of what we're talking about. It's like you know, the will of the warrior. What is this? You know the quote in the yeah, beginning. The, the riddle of steel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what is best in life? Uh, to crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentations, lamentations of, of the, the women. women. <laughs> that was like that was kind of like the old gang philosophy. You know, live, live, live for the day. Get as much as you can. Fucking, you know. Yeah. Crush that motherfucker. Take his broad. Like that whole idea. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Then he comes to the end of the movie. He comes to like this kind of point, this, this different point in his life, where like it's like. That doesn't all, all go away. You just make space for more shit. So it has to kind of go down a little bit, you know? Yeah. It can't be the dominant. It can't be as big as it was in his life, mm-hmm. you know? So he has to make space for this other thing coming in. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I think as life goes on, kind of make space for new things, mm-hmm. new experiences, new knowledge, new information. Because like you said, yeah, I'm a, I, you know, I love to work out. I love these high-intensity workouts and shit. You know, one day I'm going to have to slow my roll. I know that, you mm-hmm. know, and I'm going to have to be more... Unless I just want to completely fucking damage myself. Mm-hmm. And I have to ch- change it up. It's make adjustments. Mm-hmm. Make adjustments that are good for me. You know? Right. All right. Well, good shit, Rand. I think we covered a lot. Um, no doubt, brother. We're about an hour. But, uh, yeah, if you guys have any questions, hit me up. But uh, that was good shit, bro. No doubt, big dog. Thank you for having me, All bro. All right. Good shit, Rand. Cool. All right. All right, bro.